and uh, grab your Bible and turn to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua, sixth book of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua. All right, Joshua chapter 1, turn there. Are you there? You getting there? Joshua chapter 1, I want for you to look at it, and I want for you to do this. I don't know how you do it, but I want for you to mark it, uh, uh, flag it, uh, do whatever you need to do, but this is a place we are going to be in the book of Joshua for the next five to six months, and so I want for you just to kind of feel it, look at it, and by the way, uh, kind of scan through it to go to the end. How many chapters are in Joshua? How many? 24. 24 chapters in Joshua. Now, we may not hit every chapter uh, or every paragraph. We, we may, um, but we are going to be going through that and uh, really up until June, possibly into July. Uh, Doug, why the book of Joshua? Well, let me give you three reasons. Number one is because it's God's word. Uh, anywhere from Genesis to Revelation, we're about that. Okay, and anywhere in there is pure gold. So we can kind of go anywhere we want, and we're in God's word between those. But secondly, it's because it's Old Testament. Doug, why do you say Old Testament? Well, because if you've been here for a little while, you've known that over the last year plus, we have gone through the book of Philippians, we have gone through the Gospel of John, we've gone through Acts, uh, a good part of Acts, not the whole way, but a good part of Acts. We've gone through uh, the four Ps, three Ws, five Gs here at Christmas. We went through Luke chapters one and two. It's been a while since we've been in the Old Testament. And one of the things is kind of the teaching pastor here that I like to do is to cover the whole counsel of God. And that includes strategically at times, hitting in the gospels, hitting the epistles, coming into the Old Testament. And it's just time for some a length of time in the Old Testament and uh, Joshua, part of that is also because uh, it was about two years ago, we went through the first, uh, or we went through Exodus, basically, and um, up through chapter 19, and then we jumped to the end. And uh, this is the continuation of the story. Uh, a third reason is, is because Joshua is about real people doing real life, seeking a real relationship with the Lord. And that's what we all are about. Uh, I'm assuming you're here because... Uh, you want to be growing in, knowing uh, what a relationship with the Lord is all about. And these are real men and women and doing real life together. And we're going to walk with them and, and learn them. Along with that, I just want to note that uh, uh, these are a people in Joshua who are about to enter into a major new life stage for them. And specifically as it has to do with new ministry life. Uh, they are in the place of entering into the promised land. And as we're going to see today, God has a big thing coming out of that. It's not just about getting there, but it's about getting there to be able to do more out of that. And, and honestly, as a church, that's so much where we are. We have property. We're in a process of starting to have construction happen. And I'm just going to tell you, 2013 is a year of us getting ready to be in a place that is going to be a sending base for more expanding ministry for us. And so Joshua really fits with us well. So those are just some of the reasons why we're going to Joshua. And so I'll say this, Harvest, you ready to get after Joshua? Okay, you excited? All right. Oh, hold on. Um, one thing before. Today's Super Bowl Sunday, isn't it? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Well, I've kind of, uh, uh, if you will, ordained myself three timeouts during uh, the sermon time. And I need your help with this. 
I'm going to use three timeouts, just kind of little times where we kind of pause and, and just kind of talk on something related or unrelated to that. And, and, and so I need your help. And so what's going to happen is at random times, don't wait for me to point it out, but at some random times, all of a sudden you're going to see someone uh, on the screen that's an umpire who's going timeout. And when that happens, I want for you to go, timeout. Okay, so let's just practice it. Uh, just the whole timeout thing, like with the hands and the whole thing. So ready? All right, ready? Okay, that's what I want to have happen. So uh, let's practice for real here because... Okay, a couple of you were behind there, but that's all right. Uh, I want to pause for a moment, take a timeout, and uh, one just reflect on January. First, I'm just, just so grateful for Pastor Cody and Pastor Eric and Buddy Riddle from Chicago and Rob Basosa from 12 Stones, having come in all the Sundays uh, during January and just so grateful for them and ministering the word over this last month. I'm also just very grateful for you all. Um, you know, sometimes some churches get to where when the teaching pastor is kind of away or out for a while, like everybody else goes. Um, I just don't get that uh, because it's not about me. Uh, this is about God's people and doing life and church together. And I understand, you know, sometimes we have things that are going on or take advantage of that, and that's fine. I'm, I'm okay with that. But I just want to thank you that over the last four weeks, you've been around. And um, in our day and age, that isn't normal. And uh, I praise God for that. So thank you. Uh, third, I just uh, don't want to make this about me, but I, uh, over this last month, I have part of that reason of being out of the pulpit, if you will, was so that I could uh, get started after my doctorate of ministry thesis. And um, it was about five years ago that uh, I completed all my coursework for my doctorate and um, had the project thesis yet to go. But then at that time, there's a thing called Harvest Indie West that came into reality and kind of took precedence and over that. And I'm great with that. Um, but it was this last, uh, uh, last end of the year, I'm talking with the elders about it, and they encouraged me to, to see if I can't get started after the project, because uh, it's about a two-year process, and get started after that. So I just, a number of people have asked me what my project is, so just real quick, um, my project is about researching what uh, I would call a tendency for men to, quote, go dormant. Um, it's just that thing of when life gets hard, um, when relationships or purposes are disappointing, you know, you know, just life gets cold and dark. Uh, we've observed, Karen and I, and I have observed over the years that men just kind of have this tendency to escape and withdraw. And um, I'm very interested in that, and I don't think there's much uh, biblical study that's been done on that topic. And so that's the topic that I'm tackling and uh, both in secular and biblical research associated with the program. And out of that, we're to develop something. And so I'm going to be developing out of that a small group curriculum oriented for a men's small group that helps men just come to understand it, identify it, prevent it, or escape it. Uh, kind of this lure that is out there for men to uh, fall into a lazy mindset into their own lives. And um, uh, so we're just starting on that. And Chapter one is in ink, so I'm grateful for that and wanted to let you know, kind of as an accountability to you. So uh, end of timeout. Let's get back into the game and uh, let me pray. Lord, I really have a simple request as we enter Joshua, and it is that you would show yourself to us. God, show yourself. 
I pray that over these coming months, uh, out of this book and this experience of these people way back in a day, that we would walk away seeing you bigger and more awesome than we have before. So Lord, show us yourself. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, Joshua chapter one, you there? All right. Uh, I remember back in the day uh, when uh, my pastor would say, okay, go somewhere in the Old Testament. We're going to be studying a book of the Old Testament. I don't know, Genesis or Leviticus or Habakkuk or, I don't know, Hezekiah or something like that. And uh, we would go and uh, we would study that. And, and oftentimes I was like, cool, this is like gladiator history stuff, you know, war and murder and, you know, and then my guy. You know, and, and kind of that stuff. And I, I used to really get cranked up about that. But I, I think one of the things I remember is, is when we would do that, as I look back now, there was such a tunnel vision. And, and, and I honestly did not see the connection of the various books of the Old Testament in the whole story of things. And, and I, I don't want that to happen. So we are at the beginning of a series here, and I want us to help understand that there is a big story that's going on here. And I think part of what happened was, is I lost, I didn't get what the whole big story was and how it connected in. And also, I just didn't get the people. Remember, they would talk about things like covenants. And they would talk about all the, the religious law setup that they had and, and the tabernacle and the temple and the circumcision thing and, you know, the land thing. And I was always like, this is cool, but this is a little bit weird and like so not connected to me. And, and again, I think part of that was because I didn't get who the people were and what life was like for them. And I love narrative. And so really next week, I'm going to be taking us and trying to help us understand these people. And especially the main focus is going to be on Joshua himself. This is really two introductory Sunday uh, process. Today, I want to help us see the big story. There is a big story. God dots connect. God isn't just making things up as he goes. Uh, there's a plan that he has, and I don't want for this just to be a, a bunch of weeks about some cool war stories that are detached. I want us to understand the flow of the story because you have to understand the flow of the story to understand who God is and what he's doing, okay? So today is about the big story. And here's, let me just sum it up in a sentence. God has always been about a people with a place on a mission. God's always been about a people with a place on a mission. Let me break that into three things. Always a people. God has always been about building a people unto himself, a, a set apart people, a redeemed people. And we're going to see that today as we go back prior to the time of Joshua. And let me just say this. We're in America, so I have to say this. It was not a building individuals to do their own God thing. That, that was not it. That's us today. I just want to do my thing that cranks me up separated from everybody else. And that, that's never the way God did it. Those uniquenesses of who we are, are to be done in a holistic reality. That's always been the way it is. God's always been about a people for his glory. Secondly, God's always been about a place. Now, I think this is something that is too often forgotten uh, to be seen in what God does. And we're going to see this today. 
Uh, God's design was not for his people to be a wandering people or to be a vacationing people. Uh, God's design has always been about putting his people in a place and, and having that place be a sending base place. So when I talk about place, I'm talking about a sending base place. Always a people, always a place, always to the world. The sending base place is about always to the world. God's heart is for the whole world. We're going to see that today. The people have a place so that they can more effectively go to the world. And they're to do it with great fervor. They're to do it with great urgency. And the fact of the matter is, one of the things I am not going to play down in Joshua, uh, they were in war and we are in war. And friends, the fact of the matter is, we in America... We too often think that living for Christ as a people means kicking it back and taking it easy. That is not the story. We are in a war. And I hope Joshua helps us pick it up. In our understanding, friends, we're going after it. And going after it means battle. That's just the fact of the matter. So a people establishing a sending base a place to get after God's mission. So let's see this story. So today, we're not even going to be in Joshua, all right? We're going to go to Genesis and Exodus. Get this, we're covering 90 chapters in the next bit. <laughs> I understand. I deserve to be laughed at. You know I'm not the greatest guy on time, but here we go. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Eh, Genesis chapter 1. Now, I'll say this. If you're new to the Bible, uh, I... I really hope today's a great day for you to uh, be able to get a feel on the flow of the Bible and how it works, because we're going to be flying through 90 chapters of Scripture, and I want to start at the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, by the way, may I note that God created a place. Again, I think this is something that we just far too often, we just completely forget about talking about. But God created a place. The heavens and the earth is a big place. It was a very big place. Uh, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's go to verse 26. Let's see what, how, what God's doing here. Not only did God create a place, but he, he created a people on the place. Look at verse 26. Then God said, it's the sixth day of creation. Let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the ground. Verse uh, 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over it. What's God's deal? God's deal is he created a place and he put people there. And by the way, not just one person there, but the Trinity, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, in eternity past, already an uncommon community together. When he creates everything, he creates a place and he puts people on the place and he says, listen, this earth place, this is your place. Have at it. And in it, do you see what he tells them to do? He gives them a mission. Be fruitful, multiply. Like, cover the whole thing. God has never been about this idea of, it's like, you know, I got two and I'm happy with two. Or I got a hundred and I'm happy with a hundred. Or I got a thousand and I'm happy with a thousand. God's like, Phil, I want more. And we live in a culture where we're very more oriented, except for when it comes to God's things. 
Far too often we're like, no, 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 please, you're going to look, uh, you're going to kind of come across like you're uh, what? Selfish. You want stuff. Arrogant. I'm just going to tell you unapologetically, biblically, I want more. Because God wants more. That's always been his intent. That's why he created things the way that he did. He didn't just create two people and that's it. He created two people with the ability to have more people. And God told him, do the more thing. And so that's what's happening. Already in Genesis chapter 1, we see a people with a place on a mission. And guess what? It goes all the way through the end of the book. I mean, the book. It goes all the way through. But since we've started, let's keep rolling. Genesis 3. The story progresses. Uh, Not in a good way, but in a bad way. A question. Um, They sin. And uh, did God destroy Adam and Eve when they sinned? What? No. That's pretty cool. Even when they sinned, God didn't destroy them. Uh, I also have another question. Did God change their mission? No. That's pretty cool. A people on a mission. Did did God uh, give them a place? Yeah, he did. It's a different place. Because where was their place in the very beginning? Eden. And now where are they? Not Eden, (laughs) but they're on the earth. See, Eden was supposed to be the sending base place. That was the place where everything gets started and built out of that. Well, now sin came along. They're out of Eden, but they still have the call to multiply and fill the earth. Let's keep on moving. Genesis chapter 4, the birth of Cain and Abel. Hey, the multiply and fill is getting started. Uh, Fill the earth is getting started. But I will just note that, uh, and we'll see here, it's not like uh, light speed. Hey, isn't it true? The whole having a baby and growing a baby and having another baby and growing that baby, it's not like, you know, give them a vitamin in one month or 18. There are some years you wish you could do that, isn't it? But it's a slow process. Listen, God's got it all. God's not on the edge of his seat nervous. He's got it all planned out. And so here they are filling the earth. By the way, I just have oftentimes wondered if Adam and Eve, this is kind of a commercial side note, Super Bowl Sunday. I've often wondered if Adam and Eve, when they looked at Cain when he was young, if they wondered if Cain was going to be the Genesis 3.15 one that bruises the head of Satan. But guess what happens? Cain kills his younger brother. Hey, folks, sin is alive and well on planet Earth. And it's at it. We're only in Genesis chapter 4. Go to Genesis chapter 6. Uh, time goes, I don't know how much time, but time goes on and sin increases. Uh, We are at the time of Noah. Look at verse 5, chapter 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's called total depravity. Not just depravity, but total depravity. Verse 6. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. Whoa. You know, sometimes in scripture we just have to pause and let it sink in. Whoa. So what does God do? Well, 
God directs Noah to build an ark. God's judgment is coming in about 100 years from that time. Judgment. Uh, judgment is a big theme in the book of Joshua. We cannot go through it without talking about it. There's war and all kinds of things happening, and we're going to get uncomfortable with it as we go through Joshua. But judgment is a reality. Genesis chapter 7. All the animals are on the arky arky, and uh, the floods come. Total destruction. Utter, total destruction of the earth. In fact, such destruction that even science today just completely ignores the reality of it. But total destruction that changes everything. Genesis chapter 8 and 9, the flood subsides. God makes a covenant with Noah. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Hey, friends, this is just too important to just kind of not get the point here. The point from Genesis chapter 1 was, Listen, I've created you more. Multiply, fill the earth. I want a people unto me for my glory. And then it's so bad, God just wipes the whole thing out except for uh, one family set. And then God says, again, repeat, control all, delete, start it over again. God still wants to have that happen. Always a people, always a place, always to the world. The flood subsides. And God gives them a command. And it continues with Abram. Go to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. You there? Well, God initiates interaction with a pagan man named Abram. Okay. All right. One more time. A pagan man named Abram. Okay. Just wanted to get you excited. Um, Super Bowl Sunday, folks. It's okay. Um, Doug, you said a pagan man named Abram. That's kind of rough, but it's true. No, but Doug, see, I I thought all the Old Testament people like Adam and Eve, you know, they earned God's favor, really. Actually, the only thing Adam and Eve earned was uh, sin and hell. But, but Noah, I mean, Noah in, in uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, it says that he found favor. Yeah, yeah, he found it. Like he didn't have it, he didn't earn it, but, but he found it. Really, the Hebrew word is this idea of God graced upon him. And that's what's happening here. And far too often we get the idea as we get going in this in the Old Testament that, you know, people like Abraham, these were like, these were spiritual superheroes. And in one aspect they were, but they weren't spiritual superheroes because they deserved it. They were unique men called to unique purposes in God's time. And, and yet if we take them and put them in a class that's so far beyond you and I, then honestly, all so much of this ends up becoming irrelevant to you and I in our life. Because after all, we're just trying to do life. But the fact of the matter is, is when we go in this, we take a look and we find out that God called him out of a pagan land. And odds are he was a pagan guy. Isn't God cool? I love the grace. 
The grace is all over the place. Listen, uh, Karen and I, we were just down in Orlando. I know, suffering for Jesus um, for a harvest conference. And we were just down there and we were driving down the one road and it so broke our heart. We see this beautiful building and this sign out front. And it's a museum. And it's the museum and it's called uh, Mary, Queen of the Universe Museum. Really? That's what scripture says? Where the heck does that come from? We have a tendency to do that with people from scripture. But I respect that woman who bore the Savior. But I want to tell you, guess what? She was Romans 3 just like all the rest of us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. No one is righteous. No, not one. And we have a tendency to do that. Now, friends, I don't want us to do that. I don't want us to put them down, but I don't want us to hold them up. I want us just to understand they're people with issues. By the way, after Abram's call, he did, this dude just lies out of his teeth. This guy didn't have it together. Jacob, what a scoundrel frankly. We just don't see that. And I want for us to understand these are regular people. Faith is not normal for us. Doubt is. Faith is not normal for us. Doubt is. And so what God does is God works on us to build us, to help us understand what faith is. Let me sum it up this way and we'll go back into the game. We do not believe in a redemption system. We believe in a redeemer. There's a big difference. We do not believe in a redemption system. You cannot earn salvation. But we do believe in a redeemer who brings salvation. Back in the game. Genesis chapter 12, you there? Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4. And the Lord said to Abram, uh, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. A nation, a nation. What's a nation? A nation? Oh, yeah, a whole bunch of people. That's what a nation is. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. That's cool. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I go to Genesis 15. Uh, some time goes by. Abram lies a little bit and then some time comes back. And we're in Genesis 15. And God uh, restates his covenant with Abram. Verse 5, and God says to him, and uh, uh, look toward the heaven, Abram, and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to them, so shall your offspring be, so shall the people be from you, my friend. And this is cool. And Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this, what? Uh, do understand that one of the big, 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 big issues of the Old Testament is the land, is the promised land, is Israel. Why? Because God had it for these people. And you can see right here already, I want to build a people out of you, this vast numbers of people, and I've got a place for you, Abraham. I've got a place for you. And it's going to be a sending base place. 
Look at verse 13, chapter 15. Uh, Then the Lord said to Abram, uh, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there. Uh, God told him what's going to happen. God is now telling him how it's going to happen. In fact, in these three verses here, three or four verses here, God gives 700 years of history. Pay attention. Verse 13, I would encourage you right over next to it, off to the side, write Exodus, because 13 and 14 is all about the book of Exodus. Verse 13, as I read, then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that that is not theirs, and they will be servants there. They will be in Egypt, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. That's what will happen. Then verse 14, and then I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. Interesting. Interesting in this because what takes place is not only does God have a land for these people, but God brings judgment on Egypt. When they cross the Red Sea, it's not just about God bringing the Israelites over to a place. It's also about God bringing judgment on Egypt. Both are a part of the process. And that's all what's taking place when we go into Joshua. Uh, Verse 14, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterwards, they shall come out with great possessions. You're going to be servants and we come to know as Egypt for 400 years. And then when I take you out, by the way, I'm going to take you out with a whole bunch of stuff. Because you're going to need that stuff to be able to get the land that I've got for you. Uh, Go to verse 16. And then God goes on and he says, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. That may not make sense to you right now, but I'd encourage you right next to that, write Joshua, because verse 16 is the book of Joshua. Uh, quick note. It's interesting that uh, God says the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete, uh, but in the book of Joshua, it will be complete. And so when the Israelites come in to take over the Amorites, it's, again, it's not just about getting the land. It's also about God bringing judgment on the Amorites. And what's contained in that statement right there is God's patience. He's like, listen, I got my eye on the Amorites. This is, this is 700 years before that ever happened. I've got my eye on the Amorites, but their iniquity has not grown to the place that I'm going to finally bring a big judgment on them. But it's going to happen. God knows exactly what's going on, friends. Genesis 15. Let's pick it up. Genesis 21. Isaac is born. Abraham and Sarah have Isaac. They're now 100 years old. When uh, Genesis 12 happened, Abraham was 75 years old. That means 25 years. Can you imagine that? God tells you that he's going to give you a child. You've been childless. And you're like, one year, nothing's happening. Two years, nothing happens. Three years, nothing happens. Time to go to the doctor. What's going on? Five years, nothing's happening. Eight years, nothing. Ten years, nothing. Fifteen years, now I'm getting a bad attitude. Because it's like, God, dude, did you forget? Do you not know what you're doing? Twenty years comes about, no baby. Twenty-one years comes about. Twenty-three years comes about. Twenty-four years comes about, no baby. God, come on. Twenty-five years. Can you imagine waiting that long? We forget time and how much they had to have wrestled through that. We don't have the time to go through how they wrestled through it, but oh, they did. Isaac is born 25 years, then 22. God says, go sacrifice him. (laughs) Chapter 23 to 25. Sarah dies. Abraham dies. This is so interesting because Abraham dies and the only one of the stars that's born is Isaac. 
when Abraham died, he did not see the stars of the nation. He did not see the stars of the nation that God said was going to come out of him in the land. We just love to make God do our thing in our time the way we expect it should, shouldn't we? And I'm as guilty of that myself. But God's got it all in control. And oftentimes, because we are people that are, are bent to doubt, God uses time to build our faith, to help us become a people of faith. But they die. Genesis 25, uh, Isaac has, uh, Esau and Jacob are born. Genesis 37, take a look. Joseph comes on the scene. Dysfunctional family. Joseph is sold by his brothers. He goes to Egypt. Uh, just bad times. Someday in Genesis, we'll go there. But life is hard for Joseph. But then he finally, in God's amazing sovereignty, becomes vice president and prime minister of Egypt. His family returns. There's like 75 of them. That's it. I mean, not a lot. There's about 75 of them. Um, Genesis 50, that's what's going on. Jacob dies, his father. Joseph then dies. It's been about 300 years since the promise. And there's about 100 people. Now we enter Exodus chapter 1. Between the end of Genesis and the beginning of Genesis, of Exodus chapter 1 is about 400 years. I'd encourage you to write it there in your Bible. It's right about 400 years of time. I remember 400 years because uh, of what was said earlier in Genesis 15. 400 years have gone by. It's 700 years from Genesis 12. And what's God doing? He's building a people, preparing them for a place to impact the world. Exodus chapter 1, verse 7. But the people of Israel were fruitful, and they increased greatly, and they multiplied like rabbits. That's kind of contained within the Hebrew. And, and they grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. You see what's happening over the 400 years of slavery here? They've gone from, say, a couple hundred people. I've actually got written right in my Bible at the end of verse 7, about 2 million people. They're a nation. They're almost a nation. They are a people under the Lord. Listen, God's doing his thing in his time. He's true to his word. There's about 2 million people now at this point of time. Exodus chapter 2, Moses is born. Uh, Mo comes on the scene. Exodus chapter 3, he's an older man by this time. And he, he's out around Mount uh, Horeb. And, and God shows up in the burning bush. Uh, just totally out of the blue. Uh, we, don't, we do not get the idea that Moses was looking for God in that place. God just shows up his sovereignty. Exodus 4, Moses heads off to Egypt because God gave him a mission. Exodus 7, uh, the plagues begin. You know, the blood, the river blood and the frogs and the gnats and the flies and the livestock and the boils and the hail. Exodus chapter 11, God tells Moses about his final plague and it could lead to the death of the firstborn. Why is all of this happening? Two reasons. God is bringing judgment on Egypt. His patience has run out and God's taking his people to a place. 
Exodus chapter 12. Verses 13 and 14. We're at the tenth plague. And the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. By the way, that's why it's called Passover. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast of the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. I'm glad you brought that up. Communion service, could we have you come and get in place? Um, Friends, when we come across Exodus chapter 12 and this final plague, um, you have to understand what's taking place here. Uh, This is actually the, the first a real reality glimpse of what communion is all about here in Genesis chapter 12. I mean, it talks about covered by the blood of the sacrificed lamb, a male lamb without blemish sacrifice. This is all foreshadowing the cross. That's what this is all about. And when you think about this, uh, at this time in Exodus chapter 12, the people had a choice. By the way, including the Egyptians in this. And in fact, there were a number of Egyptians who carried this on out. And they had a choice. Moses came and told them that here's the deal. You're You're to take a male lamb and you're to kill it. And then you're to take the blood from that lamb and you're to paint it over the doorposts of your house, the entrance of your house. And then... And then the Lord God is going to come and pass over the land. Uh, Folks, think about that night. There are people that had a choice. They could hear all this and and be like, okay, yeah, whatever. Good for you, not for me. Guess what? Those kind of choices lead to death. But then others had a choice to apply the blood. To actually do what God had said. And in that evening, they, the, the lamb is sacrificed and they take the blood of the lamb and they decide, you know what, I'm going for this. And it's not just about only actually applying the blood, but it's actually part of the process of it was they were to stay in their home, if you will, covered by the blood. And can you imagine that night? You paint the doorframe of your house. And all of a sudden it starts happening and the angel of the Lord begins coming over. And I guarantee this, they heard the noise of death in their city. And can you just imagine, there you are in your house, covered by the blood, and you are like, oh God, I pray this works. That's faith. That's faith. And you hear death off in the, in the evening of the nighttime. Ah, the child has died. And you're like hunkered down in the house covered by the blood. Oh, Lord. Only by that blood on my house does that make me have you pass over. Have you come to the place where you've applied the blood? 
Have you come to that place where you've received the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Not just know about it, not just even able to tell the story, not just able to process the logic of the information, but you have gone and you have said, listen, I'm applying that blood to my house and I'm hanging under that. Oh God, only by the blood will you pass over my sin. Hey, if you've never done that, you need to do that. And by the way, placing yourself under the house isn't just for a night, it's for a life. The Bible says, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Painted the blood on the house that you may know that you have eternal communion is all about remembering that so we're going to do that now and we'll we'll finish up the rest of the text here in just a minute so I'm just going to leave it here in a moment if you've received Christ as your savior would you just get up and come over to the station grab the bread grab the cup bring it back to your seat we'll partake together and we'll finish out Exodus covered by the blood always a people always a place, always to the world. We've seen it from Adam and Eve, to Noah, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, to Moses. God's about building a people unto himself with a place to reach the world. Go to Exodus 14. Exodus 14. God's people crossed the Red Sea of Egypt to a land. He's taking them to a place. Keep turning. Go to Exodus chapter 19, one of my favorite passages of the scripture. There they are at Sinai. And I don't remember when we went through Exodus, if you were here and I had the, and the trumpets blaring and a bunch of people were scared and it was awesome from my vantage point. And, uh, <laughs> and it was just the fact of the people, there they are before the Lord in chapter 19 and Let me read just a couple verses from 19 verse 4. God says to Moses, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Hey, see, it's all tied together. It connects. There's a story. And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. By the way, isn't that cool? Ultimately, it's not about a land. Ultimately, it's about bringing people to himself. Now, therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Do understand this, that God was intending for the Israelites to be a people who goes into a place and becomes a nation of priests. Not a nation of priests who is just doing priest stuff amongst themselves alone. But they were to be a nation set apart from all, under na- all other nations as a kingdom of priest people for the purpose of impacting all the nations. A people with a place unto the nations. The Ten Commandments happen, just keep turning. They come about. God tells them all this stuff, to, how to organize. And the tabernacle and the ark come. Exodus 40. Exodus 40, the last verses of the book of Exodus, it's actually 
on Passover day, verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. I, sometimes I wish that's the way things worked here. It's like, God, what do I do today? Where do I go today? Can I just follow you? <laughs> No, I think it'd be kind of cool. But God's growing us in faith. Verse 38. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night. How cool. God's manifest presence, visible from the cloud, and at night just fire. And it was fire by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Wow. God has a people. And God's taking them to a place. That's what Joshua is about. That's what Joshua is about. We're going to now watch these people come into this place. And by the way, God just doesn't have like an, a, a door, a gate that opens and it's all free. God's going to be helping these people grow in their faith and show himself to them. And we're going there. And we're going to be watching these people enter this land. But do know this, they are entering the land not to find a place to vacation it out for the rest of their lives. Their God is taking them to a place for the purpose that they would be able to have greater impact in the years and the decades and the centuries ahead. Always a people, always a place, always to the world. Just a final comment on that, always a people. I just want to ask you again, are you a part of the people of God? By the way, the Bible doesn't talk about the all dogs go to heaven thing. In fact, we were literally just this last week talking with a pastor's wife who was telling her story of how she came to Christ. And she said uh, when she was a young adult, she thought, well, I'm an American and I believe in God, so I'm set. That's called all, all good dogs go to heaven theology, and that's not the Bible's theology. Instead, I go back to Exodus chapter 12. Has there been a time in your life when you've painted the blood on you. And you've come to the place where you've received the work of Jesus Christ, the sacrificed lamb, and applied it to you. Always a people. If you're not sure, or if you go, I think that's the case, listen, you need to make sure. And I want to encourage you to do that. Get with someone here. There'll be some people at the front afterwards. Come and talk with, get with someone. No. No, for sure. Always a people, always a place. Uh, this whole Joshua study is not going to be about, everything's not going to be about the property and about the building, but there is some interesting things with it. And I will say this, folks, uh, by God's good grace so far, we're progressing ahead with that, with some land and a place. And uh, that's not to be a vacation place, that's a sending base place. Lord willing, if we move in next, this December, uh, it's not done. That is only a place that's able to be able to be there for increased ministry impact. That's what it's about. That's the only reason for it. Otherwise, let's stay here. 
This has been our place for five years, and I'm grateful for this place. And yet God wants more. And I'm all about what God wants, and I know we are as well. So that place is about God's thing, and that means the world. I trust you are growing in a passion for the world and not just your little life. Because God's heart is for the world. And we're going there in increasing ways for his glory. I want two final passages for us to turn to. Would you turn to 1 Peter chapter 2? This was the verse that Nick had put up on the screen earlier. 1 Peter chapter 2, let me read verse 9. New Testament, post-cross, post-resurrection. And look what is said. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. That's the story. Turn to Revelation 21, our last passage. Verse 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Oh, by the way, that's a place. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with people. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to be their peeps. And you're going to be his peep forever. And final verse, verse 15 in chapter 21. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. I read that because know this, eternity is a place. It's with God. His people with God in a place. And the mission is done. Always a people, always a place. And for us, until we die or see the Lord, always to the world.